Hello, and welcome to Lit by Moonlight, where it's not a phase to protect Shelley Duvall at all costs. Correct. Protect her. Protect her. Protect her! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Torrance had one job, and that's not to lose his job. But after a run-in with a student and a history of drinking problems that led to abuse, he seeks employment elsewhere, and that elsewhere is the Overlook Hotel, a fine establishment that requires a caretaker during the harsh winter months where the hotel lays deserted in the Rocky Mountains. All Jack has to do is keep the boiler from overheating and keep the place clean while his family takes up residence in one of the rooms. Easy enough! That is, if this hotel wasn't plaguing his five-year-old son with horrid images of red rum. Red rum. Hi, my name is Caitlin, and I am once again asking the outdoors what I did wrong to deserve their wrath. Do you think that this cold is indeed uh, <coughs> uh, allergy related? Yes, ma'am. Because oh. uh, it it is cold here now and Mm -hmm. um but sometimes it's not cold so like some days it's like 60 and beautiful and the next day it's 40 and beautiful and my my little insides are like what is going on and i don't have an answer for them other other than the outdoors hates you and that'll do it that'll That'll do do it um my name is emberlyn and i am in love with maya hawk maya Mm -hmm. hawk please date me and my boyfriend we love you and we want you to date us can you date us <laughs> that's all i hope she gets back to you on that because i'm I really in, i'm invested do. i do are you in are we forming what what's the quad a, a quadro quadruple? A, a quadruple sure nice. she seems cool <laughs> yeah she's uh she's she is cool so emberlyn yes was there a specific moment in the this book the shining that hooked you what book the Shining. <laughs> I, was, I'm, I, I came here to be really, to, to cause catastrophe tonight. I love it. So, uh, I almost read my name again. <laughs> I just want to say. <laughs> so, that's, I'm uh, Everlyn, and I, I think that my heart. I almost started right from the beginning. Um, <laughs> so, I, I guess just con- con- conferring. Um, Can I just say, my one neighbor has decided that seven o'clock at night is the time to mow their lawn and i'm really upset about it that's so funny because my neighbor also decided this was the time to like move around all of his furniture in his house and like just do things up like yeah if you hear noises that would be why i just like (laughs) he turned on the like i could hear the lawnmower like five minutes before we started and i was like now (laughs) right Now? now right now i have one neighbor <laughs> yeah one neighbor in like the entire world and that's Literally. the neighbor that wants to and yeah. this is the time thank you um i thought you were just about to close it and be like thank you for listening to live well we're done now that's it. enough <laughs> we decided no but to answer your question i suppose um i think at the beginning of this book there isn't really anything that hooked me per se um yeah which sounds weird because there are some things that happen at the very beginning that kind of make you go, huh? Like, what's going mm-hmm. on here? This is suspicious. Um, but I think if you recognize the cultural significance of The Shining, the film, you sort of pick up on things and have an idea about what could happen. If you've seen, like, um, glimmers of images through time of, like, a guy <laughs> running through a hallway with an axe or, like, slamming an axe into a door and yelling, here's Johnny, you know. That's or um oh or caitlin or it's caitlin um you know like i feel like everybody's got their hobbies (laughs) (laughs) mine just happens to be running through hallways with an axe yelling here's johnny i don't know what to say i don't see what the point is i don't know why people keep telling me hey caitlin that's dangerous you shouldn't do that listen it's all i I want you to know that if i was on bumble and if everything you just said was like a voice memo that you put as like the answer to the question do you have any hobbies i would swipe (laughs) whatever way i need to <laughs> swipe to get on a date with you oh my gosh <laughs> for <Honored>. a quadruple <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um but like no like i feel like if you you know a little bit about like some of the iconic symbols like the oh like the the twins the the ghost twins that have oh, come yeah. away from the film the shining then like 
I feel like in no world where I'm a 24-year-old woman in America is this like a spoiler-free book. So hmm. I suppose because I went into this kind of knowing what could happen, that there could be a haunted hotel and a murderous uh, Jack Nicholson located somewhere within, um, I wasn't really aching to find out what happened. I kind of knew what was coming, um, but not completely, obviously. And I think once we dive into the meat of the book a little more, namely the alcoholism, which is something I wasn't expecting, mm. um, my ears started perking a little bit because I was like, oh, I, I see the vision. I see the vision, Stephen. I see the vision. Uh, how about you? Well, not to make myself uncultured or anything, but as a 24-year-old woman living in America, this was not spoiled for me that's good <laughs> i had good. no idea i've never seen the film um the only thing i knew about the shining and i wasn't even sure if it actually was the shining that this came from was the here's johnny thing because <laughs> that, you know you can't avoid that but i had no context for it and i was like i think that's from the shining i'm not sure and i've seen the opening of this film because i was a music major who took music history and so when i learned about ds uh, our professor played that clip. He goes, and it was even using The Shining. And I was like, cool, I don't know what that is. Um, so when it started today, I was like, hey, I know that. So uh, that's all I had for this film. So uh, <laughs> it was really exciting to actually get into this book and find out what all the hubbub's about. Um, yeah. Is it bad that, like, when that started at the very beginning, the DSA, what is it, DRC Ray? Yeah. I thought, oh, like from Rent. Because, <laughs> like, there's a part of, um, there's a part of La Vie Bohème where, like, it starts with that, like, in the background. And that's how I always knew that song. And then when I heard it in The Shining, I was like, oh, from Rent. <laughs> so that's who I am. My favorite. Um, use of DSRA um is in Rogue One uh, oh, yeah. because first of all Michael Giacano did put his entire soul into that al- that soundtrack and second of all uh there's like a ongoing in one of the tracks um but it is played throughout the film you just hear wop 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 like repeated and then it finally goes wah 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 which is part of the DSRA thing mm-hmm. and uh spoiler alert they all die at the end. And also, DSRA is known as the Death March. So when you hear yeah. it, you know it's going to, something bad's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but anyway, not to somehow use my degree in this podcast. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yay! It worked! It worked! <laughs> it, it was worth it. It was all worth it. It's like it's right behind her on the wall right now. It, it just like, there's a rainbow comes out and like some sparkles. Both it glows whenever you like, use it. Yay! Yeah. She's I think mine's like crumbled up someplace in my bedroom. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where. Uh, you don't need it. It's fine. Nah. It's a scam, guys. Um, anyway. <laughs> uh, my hook for The Shining was actually chapter four. And uh, this chapter is from Danny's perspective. Um, and also, I really wasn't expecting to get multiple POVs from this book. So I was really excited when that started happening. Um but this chapter is from Danny's perspective, and it's when we start learning that he has an invisible playmate named Tony. And immediately I was like, hell yeah, this is about some ghost shit. And uh, and then learning that Danny has some sort of like psychological connection with people and being able to hear people's thoughts and kind of see the future. It was super interesting to me. And um, it's in this chapter where we first get a glimpse into what might go down at the Overlook Hotel. And when Danny sees a bloody mallet in his father's car, which immediately connects Jack to whatever danger is in their future. So I was like, time to find out what this is all about. And I was uh, excited to get into the story of it. It's funny you say that because I feel like I wouldn't have expected a multiple perspective uh, book so early on, I feel like in the 70s. Like, I would imagine those books exist. Yeah. But when it Stephen King was, like, utilizing that perspective when writing, I was like, oh. Yeah, I I also wasn't expecting it. I was just thinking it was going to be all from Jack. So then, like, all of a sudden, Wendy started talking. Then Danny. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you get uh Halloran at some point too and I just thought that was really cool as someone who loves multiple POV books I've said this before on the mm-hmm. podcast I think it I think it's um I think it's a smart way to do as long as it's done well I think it's 
it kind of makes the story deeper because you're getting into the minds of more than just the main character. So yeah, I'm always a fan. Agreed. Still not a fan of my neighbor mowing at seven o'clock at night, but you win some, you lose some, friends. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you have a favorite quote from The Shining? I have a couple. Uh, my first is monsters are real ghosts are too they live inside of us and sometimes they win and the horror movies that scare me the most are the ones where something very human is turned inhuman or portrayed as a monster when really it's something that could very well happen in real life and this quote really brings that idea to light because at the heart of the hauntings Jack's past and internal struggle are what drive him to go mad and do the things that he does so it was really interesting to see that played out yeah um i also liked the quote the tears that heal are also the tears that scald and scourge because damn it if i don't love a good cleansing cry session sometimes you just need to cry it out yeah while anticipating that perhaps your family's going insane yeah yeah i say that a lot that's like a common quote a, co- a common umberland catchphrase <laughs> Rolls right off the tongue that one does. doesn't it <laughs> And then, see, what I have to do is I have to be like, guys, stop crying. It's just me with the axe. I told you this is my hobby. <laughs> just let me express myself. I guess the like, same could be said, though, about your neighbor, lawn mowing. That's true. Yeah. Except it doesn't because I'm really mad at him. It's like <laughs> 7 o'clock on a Tuesday night <laughs> to do this. That I mean, t- use your axe walking, your, your axe marching to your advantage go over there and be right back guys whip one at his lawnmower yeah i feel like this book honestly like in terms of just the writing i feel like stephen king has a really great way of like he's a he's good at like internal dialogue yeah and like description and like setting the scene for something like he tells me everything i need to know that's important which i appreciate um, and sometimes things I didn't need to know, frankly. Um, yeah. But yeah. I felt like there was a lot of, like, scene setting here that helped me to understand, like, Danny and Jack and Wendy right from the beginning. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It was very, like, reading it. I, I like it when I can easily picture something that's going on. And I feel like the imagery was really well done. Right. Um, so it's this. Um, have you read any of his other books? I have. Um, I've read it i read it really long time ago like when i was a little baby and that was pretty good like i i thought that was good um like there were things in it that i didn't appreciate yeah in terms of the way i just think the way that like stephen king someone needs to take this man's keyboard away like (laughs) the way he writes about children the way he writes about people of color the way he writes about women the way he writes it's just (laughs) like somebody somebody like Somebody, somebody stop him. Somebody stop his ass. Um, so you're saying he's doing a really good job, but sometimes he really does not do a really good job. Yeah, like he's doing a really good job, but only to the extent that, um, like only to the extent that white men can do a good job, like to be fair, like revealing my internal biases, but like, I mean, the bar's low. You know what I mean? Um, anyway, so <laughs> like I, ha- and I actually read Dr. Sleep, which is the sequel to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll talk about that more maybe at the end, but I do feel like it's really interesting to see the way he conceptualizes The Shining today right. um, through Dr. Sleep. And um, I'll talk more about it later, but just, yeah. Um, cool. have, how about you? Have you read any other books of his? No, this is the only book of his that I've read. I've Like I, I, I said it last week in our Hill House podcast, but I don't normally go for the horror genre. It just only because I feel like if something's going to scare me, I need to see it. Um, Mm. And also, there is a part of me that's just like, what if it scares me? (laughs) And I don't want to, like... And what if it does? (laughs) What if it does scare me? And I don't want to, like, start a book and have it scare me and then not finish it because I'm scared. (laughs) So I just never really went for it. My mom, however, has read, I think, all of Stephen King's books, like... She loves that genre and everything. Ooh, she's and, not going to like what I just said then. Uh, <laughs> it'll be okay. She knows everyone has their own opinions. So. She, she now knows that Stephen King is on my list of, of author enemies I have on this podcast. It's okay. Um, she, told me, she told me some of the stuff that happens in It, and she's just like, why was that necessary? And I'm like, it wasn't. <laughs> so it wasn't. I, I will never read yeah. that book. 
But um, I might read some of his other stuff. I don't know. I'm going to talk to my mom to see what um, she recommends because. What's good? She's kind of like. Tell me what Teresa says. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me what (laughs) Teresa says because I I feel like Teresa is a very reliable person as someone who's read a lot of Stephen King, like most of Stephen King's work, if not all of them. One thing about my mom is that she's the best. So. Yeah. It's true. It's true. (laughs) Here, here. Here, here. It doesn't get better than Teresa. Hi, mom. Love you. (laughs) Hi, mom. Love you. So what was your favorite quote? For me, it was, and, and this kind of draws back um, a little bit to what we read last week, which was uh, Shirley Jackson's Hill House. And here it is. Around him, he could hear the Overlook Hotel coming to life. It was hard to say just how he knew, but he guessed it wasn't greatly different from the perceptions Danny had from time to time. Like father, like son. Wasn't that how it was popularly expressed? Um, and I love this quote specifically because of the personification of the hotel. Yeah, that's um, cool. Because I love horror movies where the building they're living in comes to life. That's why I appreciated Mike Flanagan's um, Hill House. That's why I have learned tonight, as of having just finished it, that I really appreciate Mike Flanagan's adoption <laughs> of Dr. Sleep. And, like, I just love when Haunted Space is personified. So I really, really enjoyed everything that was done there. So there's that. But then also from the movie, um, from the Stanley Kubrick film, mm, mm-hmm. um, I'm a huge fan of Jack Nicholson's iconic, Wendy, darling, light of my life. I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. Yeah. There's something in that delivery that gets me. To this day, I think about it at least once a day. Like whenever, yeah. like the other day when Vishwas woke me up um, <laughs> from my wonderful, lovely slumber that I was hoping he wouldn't wake me up. The other day, Vishwas woke me up with it from a nap, and I really fucking wish he did not. Um, the first thing I thought was, Wendy, darling, light of my life. Never the second part, obviously, but whenever I think, like, Vish, I, whenever I need to remind myself that Vishwas is the light of my life, I say that. Maybe that's not good. <laughs> that's really funny. My Dana, my therapist, hi, Dana. My therapist is probably listening right now, like, oh, that's probably not a good sign. Um, Dana's like, but... we gotta talk about this next week. <laughs> In the way that Ned Fulmer, all of, like, everybody's <laughs> digging up Ned Fulmer's, like, business, one day, like, Vishwas and I are gonna, like, hopefully stay together forever, but, like, in some world where, like, we break up or something happens between us very publicly, people are gonna be digging up this podcast and be like, this is where she said. <laughs> she said that she was gonna bash his brains. <laughs> where she said she was gonna bash his brains in. It's gonna come back. It's gonna be, like, a TikTok sound. It's gonna be super popular. Yup. Yeah. Um, um, well, while we're on the subject of quotes... Uh, one of, uh, the parts in the book that I really liked, um, because we have just recently talked about Hill House, uh, there's a line that says, the Overlook was having one hell of a good time. There was a little boy to terrorize, a man and his woman to set one against the other, and if it played its cards right, they could end up flitting through the Overlook's halls like insubstantial shades in a Shirley Jackson novel. Whatever walked Mm. in Hill House walked alone, but you wouldn't be alone in the Overlook. And I was just like, ooh, (laughs) how fitting. It is, and that's great because, like, Stephen King is obviously, like, heavily influenced by Shirley Jackson. He's, like, a huge fan of her work. So, like, yeah. I'm I always, like, going back to what we've said a couple times in this podcast, I always love when, like, a, a creative is able to, like, pay homage to the OG when yeah. they want to, like, you know, like, um, just share, like, how much they love someone's it's, work. It's like when um in the opening scene of, I think it was Get Out, that was literally, like, the same exact shot from Halloween. Yeah. That Jordan Peele used. I yes. think it was the same street even. Um, don't quote or me like, on that, but I watched that and I was like, Halloween. Ah. <laughs> like, I thought that was right. cool. <laughs> yeah. Or like, or like um, with Scream, like I've seen, I, I rewatched it the other day with some friends for the, like, the first time in a while mm-hmm. and I never realized just how much of a homage it, it pays to like all of the great slasher flicks. Um, yeah. And it was just, like, amazing to, like, see all of, like, the the differences. Like, see, see just all of the callbacks in Scream to, like, all these other films. Um, for those of you at home, that's a callback. <laughs> for those of you at home, that is also a callback. No. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more there. Um, I feel like we've done a pretty good job of both roasting Stephen King and praising him at this point, which I'm having a feeling is what the rest of this podcast is going to be exactly like. Um, <laughs> taking a break from that. Um we have these playlists we do every week and we put them on Spotify. You can go check them out at the link in our bio. Sure um, if we've even remembered to put one up, you know, like <laughs> life comes at you fast. We're busy girls, you know, we're busy. We we're very busy. We're very busy and important. 
Um, <laughs> but if we did, we, you know, we like to to use this opportunity to talk a little bit about like soundtracks, music, the way that we perceive um, the scenes and the books in our heads. And I'm wondering, mm-hmm. Caitlin, what song would you play on the phonograph while you live through the halls with your axe in a drunken stupor? You mean my favorite hobby? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I know you so well. I didn't even. You really do. Yeah. Um, I would have the song Tonight You Belong to Me by Patience and Prudence playing in the background. So if you haven't heard it, take a listen to it because, you know, without any other context, it's, um, you know, kind of like a sweet song. And um, uh, it's sung. Patience and Prudence are like 11 and 14 when they're singing. So it's this child's voice that's singing and it's very cute and beautiful and very well done. Um but specifically, I, I love it when old timey songs are used to create um, horror and like an eerie feeling. Um, mm-hmm. Or even when like normally fast songs are slowed down to create an eerie feeling. Like I vote, I I love that. I eat that shit up mm-hmm. every single time it's used. Um, I don't care how much it's done. I love it every time. Yeah. Um, and especially if it's like being played on like a record player in the distance mm. it's just so chilling to me and yes. this song it sounds like it's an older recording because it is so i love that sound already and because it's like a child's voice singing these lyrics i know you belong to somebody new but tonight you belong to me it's very sweet but in the context of the story like i feel like if you put that song in this it makes it terrifying a whole new context and very terrifying and i love i also love when you take a happy song and then you put it in a context you think it would never be used and the lyrics take on a whole new connotation yeah so that's the song that i would i would play because yeah. i think it's cool it is spooky it is a spooky that song has always scared the shit out of me like i love it i put it on all my <laughs> halloween playlists but it's just ooh, like i like it ew. how about um, you i said heartaches by al bali sid phillips and his melodians um and it's like a very old timey sound it sounds a little bit like midnight the stars in you which is like something that's used a lot in the film Mm -hmm. um and it's also like been a very popular tiktok sound and i remember after watching the film again thinking like oh what is that one song on tiktok that everybody's using for edits it reminds me so much of this and i like went on like a month-long search just to find this song which reminds me so much of it but yeah i love the use of like classical music on a phonograph in the movie it's so spooky it's really what makes the movie scary like is this the case in many other films sometimes it's really the music that has the most impact on whether or not the film is scary because if you were to play those same scenes back silently or like without the same music they probably wouldn't be as interesting so yeah I, i just i love the use of that classical spooky music also while we're on the subject of music i liked because i did watch the film for the first time today and while there was music throughout the film i really enjoyed the moments where there was no music yeah and i love it when like it doesn't take away from the film but it kind of adds to the eeriness and i feel like you see that a lot in horror stuff because there's just no music going on so it, it, it almost takes out the idea that this is a story this is a film this isn't real because yeah. you know if this were happening in real life like you don't constantly have there wouldn't be music yeah and sometimes i feel like music can give stuff away and maybe i can talk more about that when we talk about the film later but um i just the moments where there was nothing on in the background and you just heard the natural noises that were coming from them i really enjoyed because mm-hmm. i was like aha nice this is where I don't know what to expect. Yeah. 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 Because that's the thing. Sometimes silence says more than uh, music ever could. Facts. Yeah. Fast facts. Um, <laughs> and that's a rock fact. <laughs> <laughs> Caitlin, is there a character you would force to take their medicine? A character uh, you particularly did not care for in this book. Yeah. Jack Torrance was on my shit list the moment we were told he's abusive, and he didn't really do anything to take him off of the shit list. So the one good thing the Overlook did was take him out of the game. Ha-ha. Get him. Get him, girls. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know what that's from. I think I made that up. It's from you. Yeah. So what character would you force to take your medicine? I mean, obviously, same. Jack Torrance needs to be put down. Like, <laughs> he's gone. He's out. The man is the picture of unhealthy masculinity amidst husbands of the 1970s nuclear family. And he just, 
he just needs to be put down. Like somebody put him down. And like, I I will have to say the Overlook made the right move in ridding us of him. But still, yeah, I'm not rid of him. Yeah, I'm not rid of him. He he sure made some choices. Yeah, he made choices. Is there a character you would? And I literally didn't even finish the question. I was like, yeah. blah blah blah. We all know it's Danny and Wendy Torrance. Like, if you had to choose <laughs> yeah. people to protect in this book. Probably them, but was like anybody else in particular that you liked? Uh, well, yeah, uh, Halloran. I really liked his character a lot. Um, I love that. I I really liked his character from the moment we met him because he instantly connected with Danny mm-hmm. and bonded over the fact that they both have the shine. Um, yeah, which is what they call their like psychic abilities, kind of. And yeah. um, so and I I feel like I always like whenever there's a character in a story we're like okay like our main character has this gift but they can't really talk about it with the people around them but then they meet someone who's like i know what you're going through and i like oh you get to have that connection like i was so excited for danny to have someone especially an adult because danny's five Mm -hmm. um an adult who understands that um like what he's going through and like the thoughts and so like he can look up to this person and like you know as a kid you kind of usually trust most adults for the most part so I think it was good for him to have an adult who's like I see you I understand you I get what's going on in your head so like I love that they were able to bond over that and just the fact that he was told Danny he's like I'm gonna be in Florida but if you need help you call me with our little Mm -hmm. link there that we got and that no matter what obstacle he had to fight, because there's a lot of obstacles on his way from Florida back up to Colorado, but no matter what, he was making sure that he came to Danny's aid. And um, I really like that he did not die in the end. Like it was hinted that he might in the book. Mm-hmm. So that was a very pleasant surprise. Yeah. 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 How about you? Same. I mean, like I was also very concerned about Halloran dying because I feel like that's like, not dissimilar from the barrier gaze trope where it's like oh the one knowledgeable person of color whose life is yeah. completely dependent on the well-being of like the white per- the white people in the book is going to die at the end and he didn't i mean i don't know how much that said like i don't know how much better that makes things just in comparison to the way that king treated halloran's character for the whole other extent of the book but like yeah. he was still i think like a great character just in the sense that he was a decent human being um that like tried to save Danny and then when Danny called for him did the very decent thing of coming all the way from Florida to like be with Danny and and like I think that's wonderful like because I mean as much as I'd like to say because I've never been in that situation hopefully I never am but like as much as I'd like to say yeah I would have done the same thing I don't know right I might be a shitty person (laughs) I'm not gonna find out you know until I have to do something like that but you're all the way over there i can't today i'm in florida i'm sorry, sorry. i'm like on the beach right now i just I'm can't really do it sorry. I can't you said come. it's snowing there no no had enough of that i'm not coming back for the snow yeah <laughs> yeah so it was really lovely that he came back for danny and, and that he had such a great connection with danny that like Danny had somebody there for him as he was going through like having this gift and and as he for most of his life he thought he was alone so yes agreed um (laughs) I think like that's kind of something that you start to dip into more in your first peak isn't that right uh yeah um as far as uh Danny goes it was I really enjoyed that this wasn't a story where a child is hyper aware that the place he and his family are is not safe and just seeing things and the parents dismiss him and say it's all in his head like it always it always bothers me in horror movies when a kid's like this place is haunted we need to leave and the parents are just like ha kids say the darndest things as their family gets murdered by ghosts like it just bothers me so much because i'm just like i don't know like there are times in um in hill house like the tv series where the kids are like there's a bent neck lady uh Mm -hmm. there was pounding on the walls like how can you not hear it and all of your kids are freaking out and they're seeing all this shit and you just go oh it's nothing don't worry about it like i would take those kids and leave (laughs) like they know something i don't and i'm gonna Mm -hmm. like i just i hope that one day if i am a parent that if my child says hey there's a ghost here i'll be like okay i believe you completely what are they saying (laughs) like Mm -hmm. i just i so it was nice that in this book 
uh, Jack and Wendy do try and figure out what's going on with Danny and like they they take him to a doctor um, to find out what's going on because they think that maybe he's just like epileptic or something because he has like these these seizures and um, he'll often just kind of be unconscious when he's actually like really like talking to Tony or whatever but even like the doctor doesn't even dismiss Danny and Mm -hmm. doesn't really tell him that what he's seeing isn't real he just tries to like make it more tangible for Danny to understand like what's going on with his head and even if they don't really figure out exactly what's going on with him but uh, like at the doctor's office but later on Jack and Wendy realize that he has this gift and that like he can he knows their thoughts and they're like wow that's insane that he can do that but maybe we can use that to his advantage like hey like and Wendy's like did you see your dad like is your dad drinking like can you tell me yeah. that and like they just they just believe him and take his word for it and I just yeah. I I really like it when kids are believed yeah I, I'm all I was always very impressed by the amount of respect that the adults in this book give Danny yeah as like a reliable source of information but also just as a child like with human emotions and feelings um right I've always appreciated that it's so I feel like first of all it's very interesting to see I feel like in the 1970s where I feel like we have like a very like one-dimensional understanding of the dynamic between parents and kids during that time period but like to the extent that like when I read that book sometimes I'm like wow there are things in here that I wish my parents did just saying a lot because the father in this book breaks his kid's arm like yeah you know um which obviously like when I say that I'm looking beyond those points and just at the explicit way that they treat Danny's emotions yeah yeah for me um I I kind of exactly where I was just going just now actually I think I really really like how much you can take away from this book today um when you think about the portrayal of masculinity and addiction in this book, like, mm-hmm. wow, there is so much there that I feel like I was unpacking explicitly thinking about Jack's internal dialogue and his resentment, his resentment towards his wife, um, toward this younger student in the book, toward himself. Like, I feel like Stephen King captures the descent of an addict horrifyingly because that's what it's like to be around an addict and an abuser it's actually horrifying and I felt that a few times reading The Shining like it's not horrifying to the extent much like with Hill House it it wasn't horrifying to the extent that there were ghosts it was horrifying to the extent that there's like this this internal like the people like the main character in this book is deeply troubled and like there are a lot of very real things that they're going through that any person reading this book could probably also be going through. And that Stephen King himself was going through when he wrote the book. Like, it was mm. a book that he wrote to help him cope with his own alcohol addiction. So, Oh, I didn't know that. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, it, you know, like, I, I just, I love the way that masculinity and addiction are portrayed. I feel like there's just so much to pick apart there. Not so much in the film, but in the book. Um, yeah that I I think I took with me like um something that um is talked about in another one of my favorite con uh podcasts it's called you are good and it is uh Sarah Marshall and Alex Deed's podcast and they talk a little bit about how what makes this book good in general makes a lot of King's works good is that it's about like shedding light on the American human condition and using horror elements as a means of making the human experience dynamic. Yeah. And I like feel like I could not say that better myself, which is why I think I'm directly quoting them when I say this. I, I just feel like there's so much in, in, in the simple everyday things that we go through that are can sometimes, you know, like without a little bit of self-care become terrible over time. Right. Um, and that's what makes this book scary for me. Yeah. Um, so Very that's cool. that's where I am. What was your second peak? Uh, my second peak was that I love psychic connections. Mm. I think it's really cool. I totally believe that in real life people have them. And I say that because I really genuinely feel like my cousin and I have one because we have shared dreams. Oh, cool. And, oh, yeah. I know um, Why am I saying that? Like, I've never heard it before. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we've had, um, like, shared dreams or at least, like, very similar dreams like there was one time she texted me she's like hey weird question but did you dream about this last night and I said yes I did (laughs) and I described (sighs) the dream and she's like yep that's what happened in mine and I was like weird (laughs) and um or like I just kind of know when like something's up I just kind of feel it and like even if I don't directly like 
call her out, I find out later. I'm like, oh, I was right. Like sometimes I'll text her and I'll be like, are you okay today? Like I just I feel like something like you feel like feel a little off, and then she'll be like, no, I'm sick, and I'll be like, knew it. <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> so um, I just I think it's really cool, and it's not something that I can explain. Huh. And like, not to sound like I'm an empath, but like, because <laughs> I hate that. But like, there's just something about like being so in tune with someone that like, is it's more than just like, oh, I can finish their sentences. Like, mm. you can do that with a lot of people, but like, it's just so it's such a deeper connection. That I just think it's really cool. Mm. Um, so, uh, to have a psychic connection like played out, like that's why that was my hook. Um, to find out that Danny had something going on and he can like see things or feel people's thoughts like he knew that his parents were thinking of divorce even though none like neither of them actually spoke that out loud themselves like I just thought that was so cool Mm. and I I don't know it was just really cool to be like just to get the information from Danny about what's going to happen but like he can't he doesn't understand it and you're not given the full picture but you can kind of take those puzzle pieces and start to make it yourself I thought that was really Mm -hmm. cool um I also liked that by the time they got to the Overlook Hotel, Jack, Wendy, and Danny's POVs like all mesh together. Like mm-hmm. it's there are still times later on in the book where it's like this chapter is specifically for Jack or this one specifically for Wendy. Right. But in the beginning, it was chapter one Jack, chapter two Wendy or what and etc. But like by the time they get to the Overlook, it's like it starts out with one and then it goes into another, and sometimes it like it changes line by line and I thought that was kind of cool and I feel Mm -hmm. like that kind of like represents how the hotel is kind of getting into their all of their heads at the same time and creating that stronger psychic link so I um I just thought that was a really cool uh Mm. detail that King did that's so raven of you (laughs) thank you yeah wow yeah I, I feel like that's a really great point um and also great example, I don't know if we've talked about this at all on our podcast, of like the way that sometimes like just this, the sheer structuring of books can be useful to the storytelling. Yeah. Like yeah. what you're describing. Like, I love that. Like, that is cool. Like, that's the equivalent of if I were to like write a book, like write a short story about like walking upstairs and I just sp- indented each line a little more yeah. each time. Obviously, I'm well, not cool enough to do that, but <laughs> you get the I- idea. A good example of that is um, uh, Hafsa Faisal does that in We Hunt the Flame. Oh, yeah. And also in the sequel to We uh, We Free the Stars, mm-hmm. where um, it'll be like a word, a couple words, is like, and then time slowed down, like all like, like in their own lines. And it just mm-hmm. kind of like it, that itself kind of slows down the story. So it's like almost yeah. like it's all in slow motion. And I thought that was a really cool um, element that she did in her it, work. It is. It is. It's like poetry. What was your second peak? For me, I think uh, what I love about this book is at its core, it's the epitome of modern American Gothic. Like, American horror, I'm going to get my soapbox for a second, is a place I wish I could live in subconsciously. Like, I want to go to there. Um, <laughs> like, the middle of a cornfield or, like, an abandoned theme park or, like, a creepy mountain town hotel. Like, something we talk a lot about on the pod is like liminal spaces and I always think of like fluorescent lights by your high school vending machine at night or like a drained and abandoned community pool Mm -hmm. like places that it's like at the time that you see them you witness them they're like they're not they're kind of off like there's like an off feeling about it but it's also Mm -hmm. familiar and nostalgic they're usually places that are like full of people but then you see them when they're not and it's like right this is not what the space was created for. It's like uh, urban exploring that a lot of people do where they go to like abandoned places and they, yeah. you know, see them like movie theaters. I feel like the scariest places are the ones that are like abandoned, but they have stories. There's like this juxtaposition of the past overlaying and mixing in uh, The Shining with the family's madness, which is like so intriguing. Like mm-hmm. the way that like, in addition to the hotel being abandoned, there's also like this party that happened one night long time ago and like there's this and like all of those things kind of interweave to the point where like Wendy's climbing up into the elevator shaft and finding confetti and being like what's this then Jack right um and that is so fascinating to me it uh mm, it's like scary it's like it's honestly it's like the equivalent of if you would like go through your grandparents things and just find something really like random and like spooky and be like how did this get here you know um so that's what I love about this book what was anything you didn't care for in this book? What, were your, what was your valley? Not scary. 
not scary not scary uh like not even not having seen the film and not knowing the story at all i know that the shining is one of the go-to horror novels slash movies so going into it i was like oh i'm ready i'm gonna be spooked this week damn it yeah and i wasn't i still enjoy the book really love the book but I, I just was really hoping to have that feeling of like, oh, God, this is scary. Um, but instead, right. I was just like, this is cool. I like this. I wonder what's going to happen next. But I, it just wasn't scary to me. And I, I just wanted to be spooked. Yeah, that was kind I, of my reaction, too. I'm asking politely to be spooked by one book. <laughs> Once again, I'm asking to be. Have you ever read? I'm curious. Have you ever read scary stories to tell in the dark? Pro- probably. Uh, I'm going to bring those home. We're going to read them when we have our little Halloween get-togethers. You know what? I freaking did because <laughs> but I was a child and my dad read them to me <laughs> because I remember, I'm pretty sure he read it out of the book or maybe he was just making up a story on his own, but I, re- I really feel like he was reading out of books. I remember him telling a story and he was like doing like sound effects with it and I just remember whatever, like however the story went it scared me and I just remember like my mom being like why would you do that before she has to go to bed (laughs) she's six hey I'm editing now but I did ask my dad about this story and I just want to say if you or a loved one have ever been traumatized by the story Johnny on the first step you may be entitled to financial compensation (laughs) great story not good when you're six thanks dad do you ever like i love when i feel like this is a thing but like when dads create like a very niche like dad story universe with like only (laughs) like the same tropes exist over and over again like my dad's thing was this thing called the ghost train and it was like there was a ghost train and it would like go through all the railroads and like there would be different like scary little ghosty boys on it and like spooky spooky like like a werewolf or something and it scared the piss out of me i was like my you mean to tell me there's a fucking ghost train that goes (laughs) through north america and where i haven't seen this on the news why why wasn't katie talking about this why are we not talking about this yeah my dad's thing was always like a creepy person like in or like some sort of creature was like lurking towards you and all of a sudden he would always go bam <laughs> like that oh would be like God. the build up of like it's creep it's coming towards you speaking of dad i remember being over at your house <laughs> i remember you we were watching some horror movie and oh my dad <laughs> we were watching a horror movie and it was like uh was it a it was a sunroom yeah or was yeah. it just like what are the rooms like it had a whole bunch of beautiful glass windows that's right yeah that's just um it was very important to know that Emberlin's dad is literally like in the woods. It was dark at night. We we're watching a horror movie, and all of a sudden, in the window, there's Emberlin's dad with like a candle, yeah, to his face, just lurking there. And it was, I think about that a lot during October. Of like, remember when Emberlin's dad was just like, I'm just gonna stand here and wait till they notice me. And we I, just, like, we freaked out. It was so funny. My dad is the king of subtly scaring you. Like, yeah. I remember watching Hannibal once, and he did that in the window with a flashlight. I have a picture of it, I'm gonna have to send it. But he just you loves, should, yeah. he loves a good subtle thing. Like, he's, like, going to jump out from someplace. He's not going to, like, put something in your, he's just going to stand there, like, yeah, letting, wait for you to letting the lighting do the work and, like, scary. Yeah, but he's terrifying. Um, But. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, my dad will just poke you when he, if he knows a jump scare is coming, he's, he pokes you yeah, so that you jump even more. Yeah, he pokes you so you jump. Oh, my God. Time. That's so funny. Yeah. I remember, <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like, um. I feel like uh, the lore that dads bring in, in terms of, like, scary things, like, that's, like, a whole other level of scary. And that's why I asked you about scary stories to tell in the dark, because those are actually very scary. Like, I don't know yeah. if I read them differently now, but I'm going to bring them, and I'm going to read them to you guys. Please. And you tell me, because those actually fuck me a little bit. Like, oh, my God. And, and then I think they just adapted yeah. it to a movie that Kara said was, like, actually, like, surprisingly good for, like, a horror film. Yeah, anyway, sidebar. Oh, wait, that movie, wait, that movie, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark? Yeah. Yeah, I went and saw that. Oh, was it good? <laughs> uh, So here's the thing. I went and saw it with Sam, our friend Sam. She jumped at everything, and I was laughing at the entire way. Oh, no. So okay. I, yeah. Well, I bring sad. the book because I want to see if it I hits I will bring the book because but... the book hits so different. The the Whoever does the 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 illustrations for that book see sometimes the illustrations get me um i speaking of sam we were just watching the new ghost files episodes because they're back baby yeah 
and um sometimes just the illustrations that they use and uh-huh. where you just see like a face kind of in the corner like those creep me out like yeah. i don't know it's like that's not supposed to be there that is scary to me that is yeah. scary to me when i think back because like i'm thinking now like have i ever really been scared when i read a book or i watch a movie like I've noticed even with a lot of like horror films, I used to be terrified of horror films, but I've been watching a lot of them this past two months and I honestly don't know why I thought they were so scary because nothing <laughs> really freaks me out that much. Um, I mean, you pa- said the haunting creeped you out, right? Well, I was going to say the haunting freak creeped me out. Like it was like, ooh, ooh, but the haunting of Hill House, like Mike Flanagan's haunting of Hill House. Oh, yeah. The bent neck lady, that freaked me out. Like I think that is the most yeah. like terrified I've ever been watching like a that- film. Yeah. That kind of set the bar really high because, like, yeah. it's the most I've ever been scared watching anything. And, yeah, like, that kind of set the bar so high. So anything after it, I'm like, eh. You're like, um, Doesn't hold a candle. Sorry. Yeah. 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 If it's not my Ouija holding a candle, I'm <laughs> yeah. not scared. <laughs> then I'm not scared, baby. I'm literally putting on a t-shirt. I'm going to find that picture and post it on our social media because I feel like, Please, I've, like you I'm, have to know I've this I've seen happened. it. Um. So, yeah, for me, I mean, there's the obvious first and foremost in terms of alleys. Like, what am I going to tell you that you don't already know that I probably hate about this book? Like, I could say to you, oh, Stephen King's writing feels a little bit pretentious at times. But, like, he's maybe the Aaron Sorkin of horror, or maybe Aaron Sorkin is the Stephen King of political screenwriting. I don't know. Um, Or I could say to you, Stephen King flippantly uses the N-word in his works and can't seem to get past the archetype of a black character whose primary purpose is to assist the white protagonist in, like, all of his books. Um, Like, there's a lot to unpack there that I don't really feel particularly qualified to unpack, but I think it's important to raise for further reading that, like, when it comes to authors that are writing really good horror books, um, may I suggest Ms. Shimmie Jackson as an alternative? Yeah. Um, until somebody comes and tells me, like, actually, Shirley Jackson sucks. Um, which, if that's the case, then, I mean, like, please recommend me some good horror writers. Um, I think in fairness, this is a very good book. Um. Oh, yeah. It doesn't scare me the way I thought it would, knowing it's one of the all-time great horror books. And I'll choose my words carefully, because I'm not saying it's overhyped. I think what makes a good horror novel, specifically for me, is that feeling that, as I'm reading it, that I suddenly become more aware of my surroundings, and it's, like, not Mm, my choice. mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't really get that with this book. Um, and I've also just been wondering lately if, like, I'll ever be terrified by anything again after the past, like, six years of our lives. Um, <laughs> like, can it get worse? Can I be terrified again? Like, can I feel extreme horror beyond, like, just looking at the news? Yeah. Can I? <laughs> no, I that's a genuine question. Not. I don't know. Like, if you were probably to say, not. oh, like, there's a guy and he's got a bat and he's running through the hallway. I'll be like, that's great. That happens all the time now in every public place. But the man is usually holding a gun instead. Like, what am I going to say to you? Like, yeah. Hello? Like, like, oh, like there's a spooky, like sickness spreading over everyone. Great. That's happening here too. Cool. Yeah. Seen it. Been there. Had it. Had it. (laughs) What now? What's next? What's next? Huh? How could it how how do you read horror? How do you consume horror today when horror is life? When the life when life is the horror. <laughs> when, you're, when you're constantly living the horrors. Yeah. Like that's a cynical take because obviously there's still lovely, lovely people and beautiful things in the world, but I do think like there is like a level of conditioning that comes with being able to read Stephen King in two thousand twenty two and not be like, This isn't the worst thing that's happened to me this week. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of horrors, yeah, let's dumb. talk about this Kubrick film adaption of The Shining. Yeah, what did you think of it? Have you seen it? I feel like I feel a lot of things about Stanley Kubrick's The Shining versus Stephen King's The Shining, um, because mm-hmm. I feel like the film is probably one of the most polarizing departures from the source material, and I'd argue in a different way than like Shirley Jackson versus Mike Flanagan's Hill House is. Like, yeah, because that one was good. Yes. Oh, and be- <laughs> wow. And I, I now know Caitlin's opinion. Um, and, and also because, like, I mean, already, like, we know that, like, King and Kubrick had very, like, contrasting visions on how the film should have looked and what it should have been like. And Kubrick kind of said, no, I'm in control and, like, actualized his vision for this this film. And, I mean, Yeah. Uh, going back to like uh you are good which is again a great podcast please check it out um on that pod they talk a little bit about how um 
they describe the movie as feeling more like a tribute to the book or like an, an AU fan fiction than like yeah. an actual adaption of the film. And like, yeah, I feel like that's the best way to think about it. Like 100%. Because it doesn't feel super appreciative of the source material, but it sure feels like it had something to do with the source material, huh? Um, yeah. So what, what did you think about the film? It was definitely a fan fiction of yeah. The Shining, for sure, because I I just felt like, so I just watched it for the first time today, and first of all, I think I finally figured out what the Kubrick stare means, so that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> literally, it cut to Jack just, you know, doing the Kubrick stare, and I was like, mm-hmm. I literally said out loud, oh, is that what that is? Is that the Kubrick stare? Is that what he's doing right now? Yeah. Um, so there's that. There was a lot of things taken from the book like a lot of lines were similar at least in the beginning especially between Halloran and Danny and I just I felt like the the film version Jack it was more of like he was always kind of shitty person which he he was in the book but in the book you got and of course you in the book you get his internal monologue so you get that but like you don't you can't get that in the film because it's a film but I feel like in the film adaption of The Shining, it was like Jack is just a shitty person and he's like slowly gonna just go more insane. And yes, he does talk like you see him talking to like the ghosts from like the party of the Overlook Hotel like years ago. But like it it doesn't read the same because I it was it felt more to me less of the Overlook uh getting inside all of their heads and more of Jack himself just slowly going more mad Mm -hmm. and so like I kind of missed that and then I was kind of hoping to have more of Danny and his abilities and like we see it a lot I do think it was interesting to have Tony like the way like they introduced Tony like he's the he's the person who lives inside his mouth or something that he says Mm -hmm. and he like uses a little finger and he talks like this whenever Tony wants to talk (laughs) yeah some choices um, so that are made. I it was a choice, but I think it was a good choice because how else are you supposed like? Otherwise, it would just be a voice like a voice off screen in its head. So I thought that was fine because and because it, it kind of made Danny a little bit like creepier as a child, mm-hmm. um, because he has that going on. But I, I don't know. Yeah, like I, it feels like Kubrick made deliberate choices that were more about his creative vision than maybe like the like the actual. Um, like the mid the source material of the book and like what the intended messaging and symbolism was in the book and that was a little bit i mean like that that i mean it comes to if you haven't read the book and you just watch the movie and if you're not like super hellbent on the movie and the book being the same like it's a good movie like it is like it's spooky as fuck the scenery is great shelly duvall is incredible um jack nicholson is incredible um like the ending is kind of weird but there's like a lot of iconic bits and pieces that come out of the shining the movie that i feel like we even referenced today um the cinematography is pretty good like i feel like it's good it's good to the extent that like a classic film is good you know like to the extent that say the godfather is good or to the extent that say um apocalypse now was good um but i think like i don't i don't know that a lot of what happened in order to create Kubrick's vision was worth it. Um, I want to read you some factoids just about Shelley Duvall's experience while on, on, on the set of Shining. So um, essentially, um, Kubrick emotionally abused her throughout the entire course of the movie, which I think um, is well known now, but still um, something to bear in mind when you think about um, Shelley's performance in the movie which while objectively seems incredible is also the result of like prolonged periods of abuse on Kubrick's part. He would have her shoot for like 15, 16 hours at a time. He'd had her do at one point a record setting 127 takes. Um, He was just all around disturbing to her. Um, And um, I do think I heard somewhere that it like really destroyed her vocal cords like permanently just from all the screaming that she did. Um, And because Kubrick chose to shoot The Shining chronologically like an insane person, um, the filming ended up being 500 days long, which is 
again, oh like insane. God. Yeah, that is the work of an insane person. Um, and like when you think about that, just in in juxtaposition to like a character like Jack, who is like abusive and is essentially like torturing his wife and child in an isolated place. I think about that a lot because I just wonder. I think like a lot about like film theory where like directors make movies that are reflections of themselves and yeah yeah, like that (laughs) that's what I think about when I think about this movie um yeah yeah so there's a lot to unpack there I just I want Shelley Duvall to be protected and safe yeah that that's not how like I I read somewhere um that he treated her badly so that he could get a specific reaction out of her yeah and that's not how you do that. You hire actors. That's that's what acting is, you know? Like that especially when you're filming a horror movie and you're like, I want you to look scared, so I'm going to scare you and I'm not going to tell you that Jack Nicholson is going to take an axe to the door because she did not know that. Mm-hmm. Um I'm pretty sure that's not, like it was like she didn't she wasn't always informed what was going to happen on the other side of the wall and I'm pretty sure and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh him like she wasn't always aware that he was going to be like hitting the axe through that door Mm -hmm. when she's like hiding in the bathroom so yeah you see that and you're gonna act terrified but like you know let your actor who is going to act like she's scared know so she can do her job and act and not have a real life trauma response to what you're putting her through yeah like that's that's pretty shitty um all that aside, I still think it's just a fine film. It's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, I was hoping that because again, maybe it's just because it's kind of hyped up for me, and like everyone talks about The Shining, so I'm like, cool, this is gonna scare me, and it still didn't. <laughs> and maybe I just have a high tolerance for scares, but like every little thing. And that's what I was talking about earlier with the music. Like sometimes the music would hype up, and like you, you can just tell in the music like something's gonna happen when it gets to this crescendo Mm. and then i'm like okay i'm listening and then either nothing will happen or like the littlest thing will happen um like there was one like crescendo that hit like when jack like takes a page out of his typewriter and i was just like i'm sure that was supposed to be like a little jump thing but i'm like okay the cinematography was really good um jack nicholson what he did a really good job of being someone who was absolutely insane like I looked at his facial expressions and I'm like if I were a five-year-old kid I would be terrified of him Mm -hmm. um but other than that I thought I don't know I just it was okay (laughs) it was okay yeah (laughs) um I did I do have a note here where so there's a scene (laughs) I started laughing (laughs) when I was watching it because I thought it'd be funny if in the scene where Wendy's looking through all the papers that say all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy like she just for like (laughs) three minutes she's just like like she's looking through the papers and like they all say the same thing but she keeps going through all the papers and is like shocked I think that they should have like had an ongoing loop of her just going through all the pages for as long as they could just to see if anyone would notice (laughs) Yeah, like just getting that's just the rest of She's just going. Like the title the credits roll, like she's still going. I'll work and I'll play just like yeah. The way that'd be like a more profound Kubrick ending though. I feel like that would probably yeah. like that would be even more believable for me. Like if you ended it that way, I'd be like, wow, yeah. that's art. Um also another thing I didn't like about the film is that they changed the ending. Yeah. Yeah, they did. They like, did. When- like Jack hits Alloran on the chest with an axe. I was like, how is he supposed to believably survive that? He's and not. He fucking doesn't. And I'm like, what? Why are you killing it? He's supposed to live. No, he was supposed to be like the hero in the movie, yeah. in the book. Yeah. So that 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 was really annoying. Um, another, I talked about this in the Hill House with like the haunting adaption, but they changed another stupid thing, which made no sense. It was room two thirty seven in the movie, and then the book is two seventeen. I it bothers me so much. Like, why can't you just have the number correct? <laughs> <laughs> this is like why why was that necessary that's a good question why? that's a good question i know that like i know that whatever hold on manny stop eating microplastics <laughs> come here how come. else is he supposed to grow into a big strong boy <laughs> that's a really good question <sighs> yeah it was weird that they changed the ending and like i feel like i just feel like the the, the the adjustments that were made in the movie were just they were choices like there were some choices like yes. the, i will say like with regards to the kubrick stare 
I feel like that was one of my favorite parts of the movie. And to this day, like whenever I see that meme or like whenever I see a gif someplace, I just go me. Like I just go me. Like I'm <laughs> Shane Dawson yeah. because it's yeah. just like I feel like <laughs> I feel like him in that not Shane Dawson, but I just feel like Jack Nicholson in that scene where he's just like looking out into the snow at his wife and son with there's something lifelessly. There's something very comical about um his frozen face at the end too like i burst yes. out laughing I it's was like, so good okay it's a choice we're doing i guess it's a choice and it makes it does make me a little upset that the that the hotel didn't explode like it does in the book to the extent that like i forgot that that doesn't happen in the movie and then when i watched dr sleep i was like that was that that was that exploded and then it was it was there again and i was like why is it still there um yeah so yeah, much harder to explain that when you do a sequel. Kubrick didn't think about that, did he? No. Um, <laughs> but um, I guess with regards to Dr. Sleep, if you at home have read The Shining and are a fan of The Shining and are wondering if Dr. Sleep is re- worth it, I don't know. I mean, like, if you're a Stephen King fan, probably, sure. Um, but if you're a Shining fan, um, I would probably say, like, the book goes in a very different and unexpected direction. I'd almost say it's a little more sci-fi. Um, it's not like as much like of American Gothic classic horror book that you know I I appreciate. Like like it, it kind of is missing some of the elements that I liked about The Shining. Obviously, you don't want to create the exact same book, but um, something that Stephen King notes and the author's note is like, I've always wondered what happened to Danny, and this is what I think happened. And whenever I hear him say that in the author's notes, I'm like, really? This is what you think happened to him? This is what you think happened to him after all of this? Sometimes we don't need sequels. No. I will say Mike Flanagan's adaptation is very interesting and Mm. does, much like Kubrick, contrast a lot from King's interpretation of the sequel, um, in part because, like, he's closing a lot of the loops that Kubrick's film maybe didn't, but also because, like, Mike Flanagan loves killing people I love. And where Stephen <laughs> King was like, they all live at the end. Mike Flanagan was like, no. That's it. That's unfortunate. No one That's lives. They all die. So, I mean, if I think I would say watch the movie and then maybe read the book if you really, like, are that immersed in Stephen King's writing and if you haven't read it yet and if you really, like, give a shit that much about what Stephen <laughs> King thinks happens to Danny Torrance at the end of all of this. Exactly. <laughs> Did you hear him? Yeah. Manny is also like a diehard Stephen King hater, so. Yeah, he was paying attention to the film. He was. A lot. It's also funny because Stephen King starts like the author's notes for, um, or like the dedication for Dr. Sleep by talking about oh, how hey, he. Manny. Don't worry about him. <laughs> um, by talking about how he used to be a Fred man for, um, I can't remember the name of the artist, but whoever wrote Werewolves of London. And oh, really? he dedicates the book to, uh, to, to that artist, to that musician. And why? <laughs> he, why, he, why? I, uh-huh. Like, okay. Um, so there's that. Anyway, how many blah, blah, blah do you give this book? Um, I actually give the book four blah, blah, blahs out of five because I really, I, I was just like, the more I read it, I was, I kept saying to my mom, I'm like, I like this more than I thought I was going to. Mm. Like, I thought I was going to be like, uh, either I'm not going to get spooked or I am going to get spooked. I'm not going to like it. Or this is just going to be a boring story. I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. But the more I read, the more I was enjoying it. And I thought it was a really cool story. And yeah, I feel like having not read and probably never will read another Stephen King novel in my life, <laughs> I think this is his best novel. <laughs> <laughs> you close the book, you go, well, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I, said, I, I read one book of his. I'm good. I'm good. I think what... How about you? I'd say, like, yeah, like, three and a half for me out of five blah, blah, blahs. Um, That's a placeholder for me not being able to come up with a better rating system for this episode. I think the part of me that's pretentious is doing the Spider-Man meme thing at Stephen King, where I'm like, you're the pretentious one, and he, like, points back at me in my psyche, and he's like, no, you are! And I'm like, yeah, probably. But to the extent that that's true, I'll own it. I am pretentious, and I don't like reading other people's pretentious books i feel like i'm just not a stephen king person and i will say from having read some other books in our little horror genre this this uh this october i I think there are other 
spookier books that we can look forward to. Ooh. So that concludes our episode. Thank you for listening to Lit by Moonlight. Tune in next time when we go to college to get more knowledge with Ninth House. <laughs>